Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Graceful Exposure. This podcast is about exposing God's grace through every season of our life. I'm your host, Denisha Patterson, and my hope is that you can allow God's grace to flood your heart wherever you are today. Grab a cup of coffee and settle in your favorite spot. You deserve it. I hope you're encouraged by what you hear today. From Grief to Grace, written by Denisha Carme, published by Zulon Press. Chapter 3, The Fight of My Life, Grief and Loss. When it rains, look for rainbows. When it's dark, look for stars. Oscar Wilde. My senior year of high school started out with transition and change. Only, it wasn't the kind I'd been planning for since freshman year. I had just moved to a new church on my own without my mom, but with her blessing. I was excited about all the new opportunities, friendships, and involvement that a church in the United Pentecostal Church International Organization could offer. My life leading up to this point had allowed me to gain what some would consider an unhealthy amount of independence. I knew my own mind and was all too skilled at speaking it. This moment was climactic and had been brewing inside of me for what seemed like forever. I wanted happiness, normality, and freedom from the bondage that shadowed my life. I wanted to be in a place where no one knew my past failures influenced by a father who'd shamed my house. I wanted conversations that didn't start or end with legal terms. No more talks that left me feeling as if I was the one tattered and torn by addiction. I wanted to be free to be me. Little did I know This year would transform my life in such a way that 15 years later, I would be composing a book about it. This series of events that I viewed as failures were literally catapulting me into ministry. Not just any ministry, but one that could and most certainly would empower men, women, boys, and girls to go and become the wonderful person that God designed them to be. There was no way to know the countless hours of sitting through Rocky movie marathons with my brother were about to pay off. Rocky taught me one thing. When life gets you down, you have the choice to get up and fight or let it defeat or let it defeat you. It may take everything you have, but it is worth it to make a difference and feel God's purpose at work in your life. One step at a time, one punch at a time, one round at a time. That's what Rocky Balboa said. A month or so into this transition, I was having dinner with some of the church youth. It was just a normal night for me. 
I got home around 9 p.m. to hear the phone ringing. When I answered, a man told us that my brother had been arrested and there was a problem while transporting him. They had taken him to the local hospital and we needed to come as soon as possible. We drove for what seemed like hours. I remember walking into a cold building, numb and completely unprepared for what was coming. Unfortunately, this was something I had grown accustomed to. It was nothing unusual for my mom to receive a phone call like this about my brother. He lived at home with us and was out of jail at the time, but he had been gone for weeks with no call or no indication of where he was. Everything was moving at high speed and I was stuck in time. I walked to a closed room and looked through the window while my mom stood talking to the doctor. I saw my brother lying on a table with those medical paddles shocking his body. My heart was in my stomach. I knew that my life was about to change forever. I had never seen anything like this before. His clothes were all over the floor and there were wires and machines cluttering up the small room. What are they doing? Why didn't anyone help him before it was too late? Why is that nurse drinking a Mountain Dew and laughing? A million questions rushed through my head. Almost as if I were having a dream that was quickly turning into a nightmare. I couldn't move. I was stuck inside my body, screaming for answers, but no one was listening to me. I just wanted to wake up, safe in my bed, and walk across the hall to see my brother sleeping. This is all just a dream and I'll wake up soon, I told myself. We watched as the staff hung their heads in disappointment. After working to save him for as long as they could, we sat in an empty room. Doctors and police officers explained an intense story of unfortunate events that have resulted in a mother losing a son. I was so confused, numb, and angry. I was cold, shaking, and lonely. Just a simple traffic stop? Not quite. My brother was on probation and in possession of drugs. Crystal meth, actually, which was a quick ticket to jail. In an effort to hide the drugs, he'd put the bag in his mouth, which dissolved. And the rest was history. He acted fearless when it came to experimenting with drugs, but this time was different. He didn't intend to die. He didn't mean to kill himself. He was a boy trying to work the system so it wouldn't work against him. 
This time he lost. We lost. And it wasn't a game. There were no takebacks. This choice that he no doubt intended to brag about later instead took his ability to speak at all. His heart was so big and compassionate. If only he could have seen in himself the potential that I saw. Maybe I could have done more. I stood by the bed where he lay, charcoal still smeared on his face from their unsuccessful efforts to pump all the drugs out of his body. Still unable to show emotion, I silently begged God to change this outcome. The doctors had first called my mom by herself. They told her it was time to say goodbye. There was nothing more they could do. She moved over to me, and the words that came out of her mouth were like fire to my flesh. I didn't want to hear them. She said, I know you don't want to, but you have to go. You need to say goodbye and tell him that you love him. You will regret it if you don't. I walked in the room with my mom by my side. I touched his hand, still warm. And there, in that brief second, was when I woke up from my dreamlike state. Reality slapped me in the face. It was a nightmare of grief that I had no idea how to survive. I pleaded with God, please, He's my protector. He's my best friend. I cannot do life without him. Why did every bad decision hurt so much? This decision wasn't even my own. Someone else was molding my future. And why? I didn't understand any of it and I didn't welcome it. There was nothing I could do. The storm was out of my control and I had no answers, but I did have a million questions. This is too much. I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I won't survive the storm. I am literally in the eye of a hurricane with no lifeboat in sight. You know, in all of my wondering and frustrated confusion, I still held on to God. I was all too familiar with loneliness and rejection. And my brother was the one person I could always count on. That dark, bitter, and empty Friday night altered my life in a way I could never have prepared for. I was alone in a world I didn't understand. Soon after the loss of my brother, pain settled in and became a constant companion of emotion at the core of my very being. I was barely existing. Happiness was attainable, 
happiness was unattainable, or so I thought. I honestly felt like I didn't deserve any better. My life had been a continual series of storms. I stopped going to school the way I should and spent every day going to the cemetery. Alone? Is that what you have for me, God? If so, I don't accept it. I just can't. Remember, I'm stubborn, God. You created me. But I don't want the ache and pain that comes with being alone. What am I supposed to do now? One thing my dad taught me was how to throw a punch. So I will fight. I'm going to fight my way back down this broken path, back to life. The last thing I wanted to hear were the well-meaning conversation starters that felt like a way of making it less awkward for the other person. I'm sorry, or he's in a better place. I didn't want him in a better place. His best place was with me. My dad somehow managed to pull himself out of his addiction to come to the funeral home, and that was the first time I had seen him in many, many years. I can still picture him staring at me and saying, you're not a little girl anymore. I never get to see you. Seriously? What did you expect? You walked away, remember? He'd missed everything in our lives, and honestly, I was angry that he had the nerve to stand there and speak to me as if it were my fault that he'd missed my growing up years. As I'm sure you can see, at this point, my spirit was in trouble. Bitterness had crept in, and I was one angry young woman. Inside, I was screaming. Why did you do this to our family? How could you leave us to this fate? I was barely standing, much less surviving this storm. Once the service was over and all the meals were delivered, the dust seemed to settle. People called less and stopped dropping by. My mom went back to work and it was then that my grief showed its ugly face. Feelings would start rushing over my body and I wasn't exactly prepared for the pain that accompanied those raw emotions. I distinctly remember sitting in a cold, empty cemetery on a cloudy day, completely broken. I was no stranger to the agonizing sting of rejection, but this unbearable loss how would I come back? How would I recover? The clouds hovered over me as if to tell me there is no hope. You are a lost cause. The conclusion of your story will not differ from this. Why even try? The once colorful flowers on my brother's grave had become 
the once colorful flowers on my brother's grave had begun to wither, much like my soul. There was a chill in the air which seemed to follow me everywhere. Loneliness was very present in my life. I began to cry on this specific day, hot tears flowing down my face as I prayed for my pain to end. I remember asking God, isn't there a river where I can drink and never thirst again? Will it consume my pain and fill my heart with peace? How can I tap into your presence, God? I need you. I need you now. I wish I could say that it didn't take many mistakes to finally make my way back to happiness. But in fact, I did turn to several wrong things before turning to God and deciding I wanted my life to make a difference. I finally came to a place where I could talk to my mom. That day I left the cemetery and I went to her job. I sat in a metal chair at her work, begging her to help me. She made one simple statement. You can be happy. You are still alive and you cannot allow this pain to control your life. How could she give me such sound advice when she must have been dying on the inside? Guilt completely riddled my being any time a hint of a smile snuck across my face. The blame game was so intense in our small circle and I knew my mother, as perfect as she was to me, was tearing herself apart. Yet she loved me enough to pull me out of such a dark pit. My world was and is always better because of her. I know in that moment that I could and would survive my grief. I didn't quite know how, and I suppose that was okay, but in fact, I would survive. I truly had no earthly idea how I could be happy and not let this grief control my life. But I was not willing to let my unhappiness take another child from my mother. I had to try, if not for me, then for her. So I fought. I put on my boxing gloves and I threw myself into serving at my church and telling everyone, I'm good. God is good. Life is good. My good was a band-aid covering a small scrape that was getting smaller and smaller on the outside. But internally, you know, the place where no one else can see, I was close to defeat. My heart, my mind, my soul, those things were like a teapot ready to explode. I somehow managed to graduate high school, move out on my own, and find a really good job after putting myself through orthodontic assisting school. Still, 
I was fighting to be more than I was born to be, but never dealing with the terminal hurt inside. One day at a time, I was determined to have a good life, but without realizing it, I was punishing myself for surviving by allowing negativity and discontent to set up permanent residence in my spirit. After almost two years of my brother's accidental overdose, I received a phone call from one of my dad's friends, one who usually called us when my dad needed some money or help of some kind. She said, Dad had been robbed and murdered. I couldn't trust her information, and there was a moment where I almost ignored it because I was so accustomed to drunk or high phone calls from my father and his random friends. He passed my contact information around like it was free bubblegum. After sitting, waiting, and dwelling, I decided to check on her story. So I went through several channels of police departments. That path eventually had me on my way to the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. The police had found a body earlier that day and his fingerprints were a match with my father's. Since my parents were divorced and I was the next of kin, I had to go identify the body in case it really was my dad. The dead man had been beaten, but thankfully, the first blow had killed him. So there was no suffering. The 30-minute drive from Covington to Atlanta seemed to take hours. The car ride was quiet. Pretty soon, I started shivering in panic as memories came rushing back from the night my brother died. My mom was on vacation when I received the news of my father's death, and so I wouldn't be alone. My then boyfriend drove me to the police station and never left my side through that dreadful process. I remember the touch of his hand on my lap and how I felt so unworthy of his love. Inadequacy flooded my mind, along with thoughts of self-doubt self-destruction, and self-sabotage. He had to think I came with too much baggage as his family was so well put together. This was the second time he'd accompanied me through the grief of losing a loved one. I was so ashamed of my life. I will never forget what it felt like to be questioned in an interrogation room and how they left me to wait in an empty, cold room with a disgusting cup of coffee. The authorities had to determine that they were correctly identifying the dead man. After a long period of silence, the detective confirmed that it was indeed my father. I felt so lost and alone. My mom was out of town. I was only 19. How I longed for my blue ruffled dress, simpler days, and those 
distant memories of laughter with my family. In my mind, I went completely numb and wondered, why had this happened? I cannot go through this again. Even through my pain, I was determined to come through this just like before with my brother. But the truth was, I hadn't really come through before. My emotional train was about to derail in a severe way, but I was buckled in for the ride and couldn't get off this fast-moving atrocity. My anger was growing more dangerous by the second. I found that losing my dad brought about a different type of grief. I'd lost his presence in my life at such a young age that I had almost already grieved his loss. But now I was just angry at what he'd done to me, what he'd left me to deal with. There I was, left picking up the broken pieces of our lives and trying to make sense of it all. Addiction and breaking. Addiction is a selfish disease. Dictionary.com says addiction is the state of being enslaved to a habit or practice or to something that is psychologically or physically habit-forming, such as narcotics, to such an extent that its cessation causes severe trauma. Wikipedia says addiction is a brain disorder characterized by compulsive engagement in rewarding stimuli despite adverse consequences. You see, putting these substances into our bodies, whether they be drugs, alcohol, opioids, nicotine, etc., eventually creates a dependency where your body literally cannot function without them. This is called withdrawal. And when you get to that point, if you aren't properly monitored, you are a harm either to yourself or to someone you care about. Life has taught me these things, not through a book or a fancy degree, but from living amid the horror of someone else's addiction waiting in the shadows to see how this bender would play out, how the latest obsession would affect me. So many days I spent alone, wondering what I had done wrong. I often felt second best or unworthy of experiencing happiness yet again. Instead of dealing with my grief, I threw myself into church and work. About six months had passed. I was now engaged and my fiancé was serving as the youth pastor at our church. I kept myself plenty busy between helping him, working, and planning a wedding. I thought I was doing a great job of hiding my pain and ignoring my need for closure. To be honest, I was angry, sad, and lonely all at the same time, but I was clueless as to why because I never really allowed myself to deal with my feelings. Then came a Friday night youth service. It should have been just like any other Friday night, but the load of grief I'd been carrying inside 
reached a point of maximum capacity. The amount of stress I could absorb had been overloaded for so long. This all culminated in a grand collapsing moment. Outwardly, I had quietly powered through every stage of grief. Inwardly, I had been corroding away. However, I always made sure to keep the visible parts of my life seem like I was doing great. Suddenly, there I was, literally in a fetal position on the floor of my husband's office, crying harder than I had ever cried before. The poor guy had no idea what to do for me. My heart was aching and I didn't know how to express my pain. So after admitting defeat and acknowledging that I didn't know how to help myself, I started grief counseling. This decision was a life-changing one for me. That time in my life cultivated me into a warrior. I dug to the deepest depths of my soul and found the courage to live. Courage is a peculiar thing. It appears to lie dormant inside our spirit until we activate its power, which allows us to journey to higher mountains. We put on our armor, pick up our sword, and take care of business. Psalms 56 and 3 of the New King James Version says, When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I was sitting in my mother-in-law's living room and as we were watching the Thanksgiving Day Parade, a song from Cinderella came on. A dream is a wish your heart makes when you're fast asleep. In dreams, you will lose your heartaches. Whatever you wish for, you keep. Have faith in your dreams and someday your rainbow will come smiling through. No matter how your heart is grieving, if you just keep on believing, the dream that you wish will come true. It's funny as an adult woman how I get the same butterflies I did as a little girl. I sat listening to the lyrics of this decades-old Disney classic and the happiness and family environment surrounding me seemed to freeze in time. I started choking back tears and thinking how these words applied to my life and how long ago I made a wish that was coming true. Not just because of my faith, but because of prayers. A dream is my favorite thing. That is, if it takes away your heartache. I can have faith in God's promise or waiting, but just how long must I wait for my rainbow? This was the moment I found my strength. How could a Disney song be the light bulb moment my mind needed? Regardless of how silly it may seem, there it was, my moment of truth. 
those nights upon nights spent wondering if I would ever see a rainbow. They were gone, and I vowed to do something I was unfamiliar with and honestly didn't know how to do. I was going to trust. Wow. Just saying it aloud took a lot out of me. I could do it. After all, Jesus got on the cross for me, so I can trust him with my future healing and happiness. I'd spent so long standing on the ledge. My life had been a series of hurricanes, and I was currently living through the most devastating one yet. So there I was, stepping out into this hurricane with nothing but a tote bag full of wishes and faith. You have to be a warrior to have the bravery to step out and go all in. But why not try? After all, I had nothing left to lose. How long must I endure the shaping and molding of my spirit I asked, how long should I remain on the potter's wheel before you are done, God? I don't know if I can take any more, and I have no idea what you're preparing me for. Most of my fight was spent arguing with God, and quite frankly, I was about ready to fall off the cliff's ledge, angry with God. Then I chose to give every trial, every heartache, every doubt, every insecurity to him. Then, then came the sunshine. I was in the fight of my life, unsure if I would survive or if I even wanted to. And all the while, I just needed to fully surrender to have complete healing. It may sound far-fetched, but truly, our healing comes from the surrender. In our darkest hour, He is there, restoring our soul. He will lead us to the place of rest, but we have to trust His process and not question His steps. Choosing to be happy, even when life gets you down, does not make you a bad person. On the contrary, it makes you strong and courageous. When you find yourself feeling guilty for even being here while finding your way to happiness, just dismiss it as an unsuccessful tactic of the enemy. In Isaiah 41 and 10, it says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Soon, I realized my fight was not with God. I was asking all the wrong questions about my progress. What could I learn from my grief? How could I help someone else overcome his or her heartaches? It was my choice to either be controlled by my grief or conquer it. 
I was praying for my season to end when in fact my blessing was in the breaking. Losing my brother and father were the end of fall, catapulting me into winter. God never left me. He knew exactly where he needed me to be. So he picked up the shattered pieces of my life and began to remake me so that he could use me. Like I said, I'm a warrior, so I chose the conquest to victory, and it is a beautiful landscape. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoyed Chapter 1 of From Grief to Grace. I can't wait to share the rest of the book with you. The next episode will be Chapter 2, where I talk about divorce and fitting in. I truly hope that as you join me on this journey from grief to grace that you are inspired and you learn to believe in yourself and love yourself. Until next time, friend. I hope that you learn to find grace and expose it in every situation in your life. See you next time.